Give him praise, church. Hallelujah. praise the one who does great things. Amen. Amen. Amen to the great I am. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come before you and just want to recognize that you and you alone are God and you are in total sovereign and control. And uh, Lord, we just want to give you praise and the glory do your great name today, recognizing that you are the God of all comfort as we come to this passage in Psalm and we just see uh, the, your loving arms wrapped around your, your children. Uh, Lord, we, we know that in a, in a room this size, in a group this size, there are many, so many, uh, that need that, that loving, compassionate touch in their lives this morning. I pray that they will find it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, before we talk about uh, uh, connection card and, and prayer card, if I'm not mistaken, in our midst, there is a couple who have been in marital bliss for 59 years. Now, it's their, it's their 65th anniversary, but it's been blissful for, no, 65 years. Richard and Alma, where are you? Amen. Amen. Congratulations. Uh, please take one of these blue cards, this connection card, and uh, fill that out. If you're especially with us for the first or second time, we would uh, love to know who you are and how we can minister to you. There's uh, check marks on there that you can say, I'd like to know more about the church. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? All those things. We'd be happy to answer those things, and so please do that. Also, there's a prayer request card and... Um, you fill that out as well. Also, tonight, sorry about the mix-up in the bulletin, uh, but we will not be having a worship service tonight. We will resume that uh, next week. And by the way, Wednesday night will be a full slate of things. Uh, all age groups are meeting at uh, 6.30, uh, prayer meeting at 6, without a meal until a little bit later in the month, okay? So uh, things resume uh, this Wednesday only with no meal just yet, all right? Um, 
So we are going to be talking about God's great comfort today from Psalm uh, 34. And let's read together uh, a companion passage to that from Isaiah. Let's read together. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.
Amen. You may be seated just a moment. Well, we're going to continue the theme of God providing comfort. And uh, this song, if anything it says, it says this. Don't ever doubt God. His track record is 100%. Amen? Yes, he can. Sometimes I wonder, is he faithful? Does he see me in my trouble? Does he understand? Sometimes I question, is he able? Can he rescue? Can he save me again and again? But when I look back, did he move every mountain? Did he part every sea? Yes, he did. So yes, he can. Did he defeat the darkness? Did he deliver me? Yes, he did. So yes, he can. Yes, he he can sometimes those voices try to tell me I'm forgotten and I'm falling too far from his hands but I know what kind of God he is and I'm trusting in his promises I'm believing and I'm singing yes he Lord God, we come before you once again in this time of, 
of offering. It's not, a, it's not a break in the worship service to do this. It is a continuation. It is so much a part of the worship service to do this, to come and to say, Lord, thank you for the great um, provision that you've given us and for us, our, our, the ability that you've given us to give back a portion to you. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful in this act of worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a, a bit of a theme for what Pastor Philip is going to come and share with us. Um, it's in the middle part of uh, Psalm 34, the idea that we are to taste, we are to experience and see that the Lord God is good. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on Him are radiant, they'll never be ashamed, they'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me, and saved me from my enemies. The Son of God surrounds His saints. He will deliver
magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name together. Glorify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name forever. God, as we consider this song, that we are to taste, we are to experience you, and we are to see for ourselves that you are good, you are perfect, you are all-sufficient, you are enough. Lord, may anybody within the sound of my voice that has a doubt about that, Lord, today would you put heart of flesh in them for their heart of stone. Would you transform their life and show them that you are the true Savior, the true Messiah. Lord, for the rest of us, may we be a little bit more transformed into the image of Jesus in the next few moments than we've ever been. It's in Christ's name we pray. Well, hearing Daniel and Alyssa and Cameron's voices together with David and Cammie in the South, we would say, you guys need to buy a bus, <laughs> right? Become singing evangelists, right? Praise the Lord. But more importantly, even so than the harmony, is the words they're singing, right? Praise the Lord. Well, Joel and Lindsay had little Isaiah yesterday, and we praise the Lord for that. And uh, Blake and Debbie are probably spazzing out in Guatemala. <laughs> yeah, the Lord just, he works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? And uh, thank the Lord that our team is safe in Guatemala. And also for Joel and Lindsay, little Isaiah has uh, been born. And we praise God for that. And just want you to know that as a church family and to pray for them. We realize that life can deal heavy blows. It can be the loss of your health. Many of us have awaited that doctor's appointment to get the worst news you could possibly ever get in your lifetime. We can experience the loss of a job, the loss of income, the estrangement of our own children, the heartache of having a child or children who are lost without Christ. We have the heartache of loneliness. We have the heartache of broken relationships. 
and the list is ongoing. And I think we can all agree that this life we live is an equal opportunity oppressor, right? As our troubles and afflictions multiply, what usually happens is fear grips us. If anything I've mentioned thus far actually describes your situation, then Psalm 34 is for you. And if it's not now that it describes your situation, it probably has or it will in the future, right? So let's read this incredible psalm. Remember, the superscription that you see in 34 is actually the first verse in Hebrew. We've continued over this, but that's the reality. And here is another one. Psalm 34. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Last transition. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Answer, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, this is an extremely low point in David's life. The superscription actually gives us the background, and I'll hit that in a moment. But again, think of the text. Think of what you just read. All my fears, verse 4. This poor man cried, verse 6. Filled with troubles, verse 6. Cry for help, verse 17. Broken hearted, verse 18. Crushed, verse 19. This is the Bible's perspective on life. Mourning, affliction, crying out in pain, experiencing trouble, weeping, brokenheartedness, and a sense of being crushed. How do y'all like that for life? Right? 
Granted, this is not only the perspective, this is not the only perspective of life in the Word of God. However, it is the major perspective from the Bible given to us. So the Bible captures so many human emotions, and that's why the Psalms resonate with us. Amen? And I think there's a plethora, there's this text is pregnant with all of those human emotions that we can actually sense, and I think this psalm captures them. So as we read this psalm, I think it's an expression of our own hearts, if you're honest before the Lord. The psalms, however, also instill hope. We have confident expectation from the Lord in what he says about deliverance. It's confident expectation that leads to exuberant, joyful worship. And this psalm actually deals honestly with the troubles of life. And it gives you the only perspective that will instill hope in your soul now and also in the future. So the psalm is in the form of an acrostic. It's a poem. And the reason it's in an acrostic is because it's using the Hebrew alphabet. Each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet with one exception. And that's the Hebrew letter Vav. So the historical situation that is described is found in 1 Samuel 21. David's life was actually hanging by a thread. We're not going to go to the text. Yeah, we will. Saul is relentlessly pursuing David to take his life. And at this time, David all of a sudden decides to flee to Gath. What have you learned about Gath? That was the hometown of Goliath. So David is fleeing from Saul and he wants to go to the Goliath. And of all things, on his way, he stops by the high priest and he picks up Goliath's sword. So not only is he going to the hometown, he's taking the hometown hero's sword with him. And so in desperation, he goes to the hometown jock, hero, Goliath. And David actually killed him, right? You know the story. And when David gets there... He figures out that things aren't that good. He figures out that they've got caught on to him. And David rose and fled that day from, from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul struck down his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. David took these words to heart. He was afraid of the king. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. Folks, this is the context of David saying, let us exalt his name together. You can't get any worse than faking that you're insane. You're in desperation. And he's so much insane that he actually marks on the doors of the gate and he lets the spittle run down his beard. Are you all with me? Is everybody listening? Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Get this guy. It's almost like he says, I've got madmen around me already. And yeah, now you get this guy out of here. And he gets kicked out and he ends up going to the cave of Adullam. So that's the context. David's in a horrible situation. He takes desperate measures in desperate times. Achish is the king. Some of you may be wondering why the superscription says Ablimelech. That's because Ablimelech was a dynastic name that was given. So. Psalm 34 is a difficult situation when David writes this. Probably out of the tomb, uh, out of the cave of Adullam. 
it, it brings two themes together, okay? One is a thanksgiving hymn. That's clear from the text. Second, it is a wisdom psalm. Don't you love C.H. Spurgeon? Here's what he said. In this psalm, you have the hymn first, Brother David, and then the sermon. All right? That's literally what you have. You have the hymn, let us exalt his name together. And then David is going to act like our wisdom teacher, especially beginning in verse 8. He's going to teach us proverbial wisdom. One thing after another to teach us and instruct us. You ready? That's a long psalm, isn't it? And some of you are nervous already. Well, I'm going to do my best to plow through, okay? Number one, uh, verses 1 through 3, we see that we need to join with the saints in glorifying and exalting the Lord. So, there is a clear call to earnest praise. Do you hear me, you Baptist? An earnest call to praise. David's praise is exuberant, and it ought to be contagious. The same should be true of you if you're a believer. Exuberant, contagious. When people are around you, they should sense this. Not woe with me, pitiful me. Power went out this weekend. I was without power for a day and a half. Oh, my goodness. But did God teach you? We love reading uh, Lori's post. Natalie read, I don't have Facebook for obvious reasons. Because if you don't like me, I'll read it and I'll respond, right? <laughs> no, but Natalie read me what God teaches us through these times, right? But here, David's praise is exuberant. It's contagious. Notice, not, we won't read it again. You know, you know what it says. The praise is constant. I will bless Yahweh at all times. Continually, his praise will be in my mouth. Do you even mean in Gath, David? Do you even mean in the, in the cave of Adullam? Are you telling us in every situation? This is where he goes. This is where he's, he's in Adullam when he leaves Gath. Do you actually believe that we should be praising God and that his praise should be in our mouths at all times, even in the dark times? And David would say, yes. I pray that you have learned that there is no situation in your life, no matter how dark it is, that you can't praise Yahweh our God. I hope you've learned that. So his praise was constant. It was also vigorous. The text says, Yahweh, in Yahweh my soul makes its boast. David was no halfway hymn singer. David did not stand there like some of you this morning and mumble words. Uh-oh. David engaged his whole soul in worship to his God. So this language demonstrates the vigor of his praise. Why? Because his boast is in Yahweh. So it was constant, it was vigorous, it's also contagious. It says, the humble and the afflicted will hear the boasting and praising of God, and they will join in and rejoice. I hope you know that the Hebrew perspective of the idea of being humble or afflicted go hand in hand. Those who are afflicted are burdened, actually are bowed down, bowed down, and it's the sense of humility that comes out in reflection. Those who are afflicted... David would say to us, as I am, will hear me praising God, the fact that I'm boasting in the Lord, and it will be contagious. Then they will hear and they will rejoice. 
Is this a good barometer for where our hearts are? When you hear someone boasting in the Lord, do you find yourself bitter? Because you don't feel the same way? Or do you rejoice with them? Oh, is there something in your own spirit that resonates when other people are praising God? Nothing is greater than boasting in the Lord. Finally, this praise calls for other people to join in. I was going to say it was, it's hortatory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew if I said that, you would say, oh, what in the world is that? It just simply means it's calling others to join, right? So, it's contagious praise, and it also brings others into it to gather to him in praise. Notice how he puts it. Oh, magnify, exalt, glorify, layman's terms, make much of our God with me to the Lord. Let us raise, let us lift high his name. He's calling the people of God to join in. Notice, folks, he's not satisfied praising God by himself. He wants other souls stirred to want to share the joy and wonder of who God is. My wife and I are planning to go to the Holy Land in March. We don't know how that's going to look. We don't know if we'll be able to pull that off or not. But I told her early on, I'm not going to Israel without you. And you know why? The biggest reason? When you go on a trip and your spouse is not there or someone you love and you see something, what's your thoughts? Man, God, I sure wish Natalie could see this. I sure wish people you love could visually see this. That's the tenor of what David is doing. He, he knows that there's nothing greater than worshiping and boasting in God. And he can't take it with him just doing it all by himself. He wants everybody to join in exaltation of the Lord. C.S. Lewis makes the following observation in his okay book on the Psalms. All right? Some of it I would disagree with, but here it is. The world resounds with praise. Is that true? Whether it's athletes, wines, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, children, flowers, mountains, rivers. <laughs> Lewis says, even once in a while, politicians and scholars. <laughs> that day is gone. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced, capacious minds praise most, while the cranks and misfits and malcontents praised least. Did y'all hear that? Man, men spontaneously praise what they value. So, they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't that glorious? Don't you think it was magnificent? David is telling everyone to praise God. And in doing so, he's doing what all men do when they care about something so deeply. We delight to praise what we enjoy. The praise not only expresses, but also completes that enjoyment. So, is this a reason congregational singing should be glorious? Let us exalt his name together. We are joining together, praising someone who we should think so deeply about. Someone we care so deeply for. We join together to praise him for who he is and the great things he has done. Are we earnest, committed worshipers? Now, I could stop the sermon right there, couldn't I? Are we? 
Number two, seek the Lord for deliverance from trouble. This is clearly what David is saying beginning in verse 4. Join with us in exalting the Lord, but seek the Lord. The earnest praise flows out of the fact that David was in trouble. This is where his praise is coming from. He was afraid. He cried out. The Lord heard. The Lord answered. And the Lord delivered. God saved him. That's good stuff. You cry out. The Lord hears. The Lord redeems you from your trouble. That's the end of the story. That's all, that's all we need. If you want a heart that is filled with praise, you want a heart that desires others to join in, you need to experience the hand of God's deliverance for your life in the midst of your troubles. David says it very straightforward. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I think David sought the Lord in earnest prayer. Can you imagine? He's in a cave by himself. He's running for his life. The phrase is better translated here, all my terrors. David was overwhelmed with a sense of terror and dread. Anybody ever been there? That's what he's saying. Verse 5, we see the joy of the Lord. The Bible says those basically who look to the Lord as their help are radiant. They have joy in his presence. David says, my face is not ashamed. Now, in our society, we don't think about that a whole lot. But in David's culture, shame was something to be avoided at all costs. David knew that unless God came and delivered him before his enemies, that he would be put to shame. Why? He didn't want to be humiliated before a watching world because he serves a God who controls the world. And so therefore, when God delivers those who look to God for help, like David, we are the ones who are filled with the radiance of God's joy and never know what it is to have a face of shame. Verse 6 is parallel to verse 4. Listen, he describes himself as a poor man. Now listen, poor can mean impoverished materially, but that's not the idea here. The idea is wretched or one who is desperate in a, an extremely needy situation. David has absolutely nothing at this point. He has to rely on no one except the Lord. His family has not gathered to him at this point. His soldiers have not gathered to him. He has to rely only on the Lord. So the destitute man is stripped of every prop that he sought to hold on to. He has no help except God. When the Lord is your help, folks, that's enough. That's enough. Was David a macho man? Answer, yes, he was. I think more so than any other man in the entire Old Testament. David did more manly, masculine exploits than any of you will ever do in this room. When's the last time you went against a giant with a slingshot? Right? He was the man. Yet, this poor destitute man had enough sense to cry out to the Lord. The word means to plead. And the Bible says he saved me out of all my troubles. It is a state of very unfavorable circumstance with a focus on Emotional pain. Have you been there? That's what trouble means. Distress. And David says, I was right there. The Lord saved me from everything that was bringing me distress. In verse 7, David underscores divine protection. The angel of the Lord could be. I noticed this as you were singing the song. They plug in the Son of God. Looks over me, protects me. So this literally could be the pre-incarnate Christ as the angel of the Lord looking over us, the second person of the Godhead. Do you think that the faithful Israelites would have he heard David talk about angelic forces and think back to their history? 
Maybe they would have thought back to 2 Kings 6 when Elisha and his servant were surrounded by the Assyrian army. And Elisha says to the servant, to the Lord for the servant's sake, Lord, open his eyes. The Bible says he saw an entire host of angelic armies surrounding them. Here's, here's the deal, folks. God protects his people. So join with the saints in praising and glorifying God, exalting and glorifying. Seek the Lord for deliverance from all your troubles. And number three, which is the bulk of the psalm, beginning in verse 8, we receive instructions encouraging us to faithful reliance on the Lord. You need to hear this. Okay? David knew that. Yes, magnify the Lord together with me. Yes, the Lord is the one who's, who delivers us from trouble. But don't forget to rely upon the Lord. Fully rely upon Him. He is faithful. Wilson calls this part of the psalm proverbial instruction. It's an exhortation for us to think about the goodness of our God. And the reason I think the section is together, because notice verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And look at verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servant, none of those who take refuge in him. That's an inclusio. That's putting this bracket together. So I see the psalm as 1 through 3, 4 through 7, and then 8 through 22. Bless y'all's hearts. Right? The third division, receive instruction. So, it reads much like the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Did anybody think of the Beatitudes as you read this? Okay, you didn't. But I did. It, it sounds a lot like Matthew 5 through 7 when you read 8 through 22 of this psalm. There are also two times in the New Testament when this particular psalm or this section is referenced. One is 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then the other reference is found in John 19.36. Listen. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. Oh, what a psalm, right? You, you start to be introduced to a little bit of the magnitude of the holy inspired word of God and how God works, especially looking at Psalm 34. So notice how this section begins. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Notice, taste and see. It's a call, folks, to experience the goodness of God. It's a call for us. Look, think with me, good times and bad. Not just when the health and wealth gurus are saying you're going to be blessed if you give $10, God's going to give you a million. That's not going to happen, number one. They're hirelings and they're liars. God is good all the time. No matter if we're in a sorrowful state, a painful state. Nat and I listened to Johnny Erickson Tata the other day give a testimony. She's constantly in pain. The amount of work they have to do to get her up to do Johnny and Friends every morning is unbelievable. And yet she's sitting there praising God. Unbelievable. You need to look that one up. Taste and see. This is not a call to speculate on a theological attribute of divine goodness. 
for us to sit around and say, well, I think God is good, but if he's good, then why is there evil in the world? That's not the reason this is given. It's a call for you to experience the goodness of God. It's not a call to theorize over the goodness of God. It's a call for you to experience the goodness of God. As one writer puts it, if you do not taste, you will not see. Can't be any clearer than that. He wants us to fully experience. He doesn't want you just to put the tip of the tongue and taste. He wants you to eat it. He wants you to fully consume what it means for God to be good. He wants us to fully experience the goodness of God. He's asking us to experience the goodness of God and do so by the act of faith. Now, I could stand here for hours and show you from the Bible why we should see that God is good. That's a divine attribute, the goodness of God. And we could spend time doing that. We could also talk about the great theological books that have been written on the goodness of God. And there are some humdingers. Some really good ones that you come away and your heart is soaring and you're thinking about the Lord. But no matter how good the article, no matter how good the book, the goodness of God is something you've got to experience in order for you to know. You've got to embrace it. You've got to test it. Are you listening? You embrace it. You test it. You try it. You prove it in your life. The goodness of God is not merely some abstract proof, uh, truth that is out there somewhere. The goodness of God... It's his goodness to you and me in the very daily details of life. Sometimes sorrow, sometimes pain, other times his happiness and joy. Yet it's the goodness of God that David wants us to taste and see. True happiness comes to those who find refuge in the Lord. He's truly all we need. So there alone, in the cave of Adullam, David finds inner peace and happiness. And he finds God as his refuge. Folks, he's in a tight spot. He's running for his life. He's pleaded insanity. He's acted crazy. He's at a low point in his life. And yet he's able to see, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Next, the text says, fear the Lord. John Murray said, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. Isn't that so true? The fear of God is not servile, cowering fear. It's not trying to duck and hide in a corner because you think God is about to swing. That's not what this is. Because you think God has lost his temper. This is not, that's not the fear of God. The fear of God is not get out of the way and hide and duck. The fear of God is the recognition of who God is in all his holiness. Then it's an understanding of who you are in all of your sinfulness. And that produces in you an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence at who he is. And also who you are. David says, fear him. Know who he is in his holiness. Know who you are in your sinfulness. And stand in reverent fear and awe of who God is. Why? Because the text says it's because God takes care of people who fear him. The NLT says, let the Lord's people... Show him reverence for those who honor him will have all they need. Is that pretty clear? It is. That's what the text says. Young lions, according to the text, typically have no problem. Doe jokers are pretty ferocious, aren't they? They normally have no problem getting food and taking care of themselves. But that leash runs out. And there are days when they can't take care of themselves no matter how ferocious they are. But the people of God will lack nothing. 
Sounds like Matthew 6.33 to me, right? You know that by heart, anybody? But seek first. It sounds like Matthew 6.33 is the Psalm 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Just listen to these words. Taste. See. Fear. Take refuge. Seek. 11 through 14. David is going to continue to serve as our wisdom teacher. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, here's what he's going to do. In verse 12, he's going to answer the question of what he's already told you in verse 11. It's the fear of the Lord. That's important. That's the instruction. Fear the Lord. And then in verse 12, he's going to tell you what it is. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I think that this is very practical teaching for the people of God. He asks the question of those who fear the Lord. Gives the answer. The answer to those who fear the Lord is this. Those who fear the Lord desire life. Y'all listening? They love many days. And they see good days. And he explains what that fear looks like in 13 through 14. If you want a long, blessed life, then live in fear of the Lord. And what does that life look look like? Watch what comes out of your mouth. That's pretty practical, isn't it? Watch what comes out of your mouth. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The text goes on. Keep your tongue from evil. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a tongue wagger. Right? Don't lie. Boy, Jesus nailed the Pharisees on this. John chapter 8, verse 44. He tells them, you're a liar just like your father the devil's a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. That's the strength of this. If you want to see good days, watch your mouth. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't lie. Are you ever astonished with what comes out of your mouth? If not, you ought to be. Listen to yourself. Then he says, watch your life. Not only watch your mouth, watch your life. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil people. If you don't understand the negative, you won't ever see the positive. There is a negative part of the ledger. And that's that the children of God should depart from evil. If you want to see good days. Read Psalm 37 and Psalm 16. It reiterates this truth. We cannot continue down a path that the Bible expressly teaches that is evil and contrary to the will of God, and you sit there and say you fear God. That's incompatible. You can't do that. You can't continue on a path that expressly is wrong according to the Bible and then turn around and say, I fear God. No way. You can't say, I revere Him and stand in awe, but I'm going to continue to walk down this path of evil. The path you're walking on or down betrays what you profess with your lips. We can say all day long that we fear God, but if you never depart from evil, your life proves you're a liar. You're welcome. Then David says, seek peace and pursue it. What is it to fear God? It is to guard your mouth. It is to watch the way you live. And then here's another one, church family. It is to watch over your relationships. The word peace is pursue, and it is the Hebrew word. I know I'm hearing it. Shalom. Peace. So it's more than just quietness. It is well-being. Now here's the deal. You're supposed to pursue peace in your relationships. 
You want the well-being, the shalom of God in the life of the person that you may be at odds with. Does that ever happen in a Baptist church? Oh, no way, preacher. Folks, don't let the smallest of obstacles deter you from seeking peace with the people you need to be reconciled with. Don't let it happen. A person who fears the Lord can never be at ease with unreconciled relationships. If you're at ease with unreconciled relationships, you're not on the path of godliness. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. No way around it. We will desire to pursue peace. You cannot be a genuine God-fearing person and at the same time be contentious and angry all the time. Talk to me. I'm going to preach it over, right? True happiness and security and provision from the hand of God are closely linked with living in the fear of God. Guarding your hearts, guarding your tongues, the decisions you make, and your relationships are very important to God. And they need to be important to you. Okay, 15 to 22, the wise teacher will instruct us concerning God's disposition toward the righteous and toward the wicked. Do we need to hear this? I mean, we're living in a world where good is bad and bad is good. I mean, it's unbelievable how our civilization has slid so fast down that slippery slope. Our God sees, aren't you thankful? And our God hears. He sees and he hears. He sees and hears his righteous ones. Don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean you were good enough, right? To meet the grade, and then God called you righteous. It's another way of saying he hears those who are his and those who fear him. They are the ones that belong to him. They're the ones that trust in him. We are not perfect, but we are seeking to walk in his ways. We have righteousness from another. Listen to the contrast. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, Brian Rollman sent me this morning the ironic blessing. You ever heard of that? Lord, may you bless them and keep them and let your face shine up. That's good. That's really good. This is not good. This is Speaking of the disposition of the Lord that is against evil doers. Hear me now. Is God against sin? Yes. But God is also against people who are evil doers. It's people that are going to go to hell. Don't ever let anybody tell you any different. Our God is against those who do evil. He has a holy disposition and disdain toward those who do evil. It ought to be frightening for evildoers to hear this. It needs to be trumpeted out of even MSNBC tomorrow morning. Every network needs to hear this. God is against those who do evil. It ought to be frightening. He'll cut their memory off from the earth. Did y'all see that? In Hebrew, it's an idiom of, for destruction to such a degree that the people are not even remembered anymore. In our God's opposition to evil, hear me, he will act one day. That's a promise. He will act one day. Notice the contrast in verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. What is our contribution? Cry out. Right? That's your only contribution. Is to cry out 
to the Lord. That's our part. Cry for help. What is God's part? He hears and delivers. We, are, we recognize we're desperate and we're in need. We're bankrupt before the Lord. We cry out, he hears, he delivers us from our troubles. What a magnificent relationship we have with our God. I get into trouble. I cry out to the Lord. He hears, he delivers. In Psalm 50 verse 15, David says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. This is what the Lord says. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Listen to what David says in verse 18 and 19. Great stuff. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Some believe this is the center of the psalm. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Wow. There's no question that verse 18, verses 18 and 19 represent for us some of the greatest promises in the word of God. God is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. What is, he's near to those who are brokenhearted. What a vivid expression. The idea is to be shattered. That's how strong this word is. This is a person who has their hopes dashed, stripped of everything in this life. In other words, your life is smashed into a million pieces. Broken hearted. Then he says crushed in spirit. Don't confuse the words. Isaiah 57, 15 speaks of the contrite heart. Right? And that has to do with the burden of the weight of your sin that crushes you down. you got to have that in order to be saved. Right? But that's not what this word means. This word means you've been pulverized to the dust with life's circumstances. Anybody ever been there? You might be there now. Just plain pulverized to the dust. Crushed in spirit. What settles in often when we're like this? Broken hearted, crushed in spirit. Hopelessness. And I'm telling you, folks, you can survive a lot of things, but you can't survive without hope. You just can't do it. Our God, hear this, delights. Delights in drawing near to the brokenhearted. He delights in saving the pulverized. That's good news. If your heart is broken, God delights to be near you. Have you ever noticed that when someone is brokenhearted or someone... Uh, has lost it all, and they're in shambles, the friends and the family start to go away. You know why? That's sad, preacher. I don't want to be around people who are brokenhearted. The Cardinals play today. I don't want to be sad. I want to watch the Redbirds, right? Our God delights in drawing near to those types. Think of this. Hamilton says, this truth shows our God's character, His tender mercy, His fatherly loving kindness. He does not withdraw from the weak. He leans in to help them. He does not collect the strong as His trophies. He shows His compassion by being with the afflicted to save them. Praise God. And then the text says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Does that offer a balanced life for you, Baptist? Does God hear us? Yes. Does he deliver us from our troubles? Yes. But the righteous are nevertheless found, find themselves frequently suffering in this life. David had troubles, folks, and so do we. David had troubles and so do we. The psalm is a hymn of praise to God for delivering him out of those troubles. Yet, 
Becoming a Christian does not mean a trouble-free existence for us, does it? Deliverance is one thing. Exemption from trouble is a total other one that you don't have. Does this apply to the Lord Jesus in any way? Does it? Have you ever stopped long enough to connect the dots of glory? Have you ever stopped to think about what Jesus suffered for you? Mm. I want to remind you that Philippians 1.29 says, You've not only been granted the right to believe. I take that to mean God granted you the right to believe. But you also have been granted the right to suffer. That means this. If you are saved, you are called to suffer. And there's a bigger picture at hand. It's for us to enter in and understand what it was like for the Son of God to be delivered up for us. Stop and consider his sufferings. This God who created the world came down to our level. Just think of that for a moment. To prove this and his love for us and willing to suffer for us, he became one of us. The incarnation was the most marvelous demonstration of the nearness of God that we could ever imagine. The Lord of glory entered into the stream of humanity in the midst of all the pain, all the sorrow, all the sadness, because of sin and situations. And he enters that stream of humanity in order to save, sozo, to rescue us from danger. Does verse 20 sound familiar to anybody? Are y'all awake? Does verse 20 sound familiar? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. I read that. You remember when the soldiers came to take the thieves and criminals off the cross and in order not to insult the sensibilities of the Jewish people because at sundown you had Sabbat. That's crazy, isn't it? Crucifying the Lord of glory and you're worried about a festival. That he actually fulfilled, right? The typical way was to break the legs, to expedite asphyxiation. So if the legs are broken, you can't push up, can't take a breath. When they come to the Lord, they find he's already dead. They thrust the spear in his side and blood and water come out. John tells us that the legs were not broken so that the word of God might be fulfilled. Psalm 34. Now... Exodus 12, 46 reminds us that in the Passover, you are not to break the bones of the lamb. Aren't y'all fascinated with the word of God? We should be. That's where it started. And the instructions of the Passover lamb do not break any of its bones. Well, here's the point of the promise in Psalm. God will go to great lengths to extend his care and preservation of his people. Not one of the bones will be broken. He would deliver David out of this ordeal. Have you read the Bible? However, it's literally fulfilled in the person of Christ. The psalm points to a greater care. This psalm points to a greater deliverance. Because three days later, the grave could not hold him. Right? It was impossible for the grave to have the victory over him. Our God, the Father, was with Christ. Listen, guaranteeing the smallest detail that the mission of the Lamb of God would take place the way God promised. There was no plan B. That's the only plan that ever existed. That the Son of God would give himself. And the Father says, I'm going to tell you, 
how much I'm in the details of this. Not a single bone will be broken in the life of my son. Wow. Our God was guaranteeing this. In the same way, God does not promise to shield all his faithful ones from all suffering. But hear the word of the Lord. He orders your suffering so that nothing will defeat his divine purpose in your life. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. There's a qualifier. Love God, called according to his purpose. You you hear those two qualifiers. Love God, called according to his purpose. Nothing will stop his divine purpose in your life to create in you what he would have you to be, no matter what that may be. Good times and bad. God is doing that. Verses 35 through 36 of Romans 8 are worthy of reading too, right? Neither height nor depth nor any other thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This should change the way you view your trials, folks. This should change the way you view your power getting out for one day. Bless your heart. Do you think this happened without God's knowledge? There's a reason why things happen. And we need to think about this in our trials. The Bible also continues to say in verse 21 that sin will be punished. You can take that to the bank, people. Affliction will slay the wicked. That means sinners, lost people, will take out other lost people. You ever pray that for the United States of America? Well, that's pretty strong. Well, I want God's glory in our land, whatever it takes. And that's that's what David knows. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous, listen, will be condemned. That You can't get any clearer than in verse 22, the Lord redeems the souls of his servants. None who take refuge in him will be condemned. Do you hear that? Uh, I think there's a note of eternal security here. If you have refuge in him, you will never be condemned. Now, why does it say that? Why is it that if you take refuge in him? In reality, who are we really saved from? The devil? A stinky theology. Who are we saved from? You're saved from God. In in reality, that's why salvation is necessary. You have to be saved from God. And the only way you can be is to take refuge in His Son. That's the only way. That's why all religions are false and wrong. Religion is man seeking after God. Good luck with that. Christianity is God seeking after man. And God tells you. What he came to do. For you to take refuge in his son. And when you take refuge in Jesus, he saves you from himself. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. When it's applied, I'll pass over. That's expiation and propitiation. There's a covering, expiate. There's propitiation. My wrath will be turned away when I see the blood. Don't you understand this morning that there's no refuge apart from Christ? There is no way to be saved eternally apart from Jesus. And to reject him is to spend eternity in eternal punishment in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. So take refuge in the sun. All right, let me wrap, let me land the plane. Y'all ready? In the garden of Gethsemane, Christ the Lord prayed, Father, if it be your will. The best reading of this is found in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. In verse 39, he says, the reason I say best reading is because it's not necessarily better than the other Gospels. It's just clearer. It's it's, it's expansive, okay? Matthew deals with a bigger treatment of Gethsemane, okay? But here's what the Lord begins to say. Father, if it be your will, 
let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. He's crying out in the garden. Was the cup removed from his lips? Extricate me from this immediate suffering. The cry did not enable Christ to bypass the cross, did it? But the Father did hear that cry of the most righteous sufferer who ever suffered. And he raised him from the dead for an ultimate deliverance. He kept his promise that not one of his bones will be broken. And that led to a bigger promise being fulfilled. That's called resurrection. Death could not hold him and the grave could not contain him. If you're suffering this morning, cry out to the Lord with confidence. Because he sees and he knows. Join with David and praise the Lord in the midst of your suffering. Bless his name because what he has done for his son is surety for what he will do for you. Did you hear that? What he did for his son is surety of what he's going to do and will do for you. Here's the verse. If God did not spare his own son but gave him up freely for us all, how will he not with him also give us all things? Hallelujah. The ultimate eternal deliverance is coming for the people of God. Revelation 5. No more pain. No more suffering. Amen. All right. Psalm 34 was for you and it was for me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to think about your glory. Even in the midst of our troubles. And Lord, I know that there are people under the sound of my voice who have discouragement, troubles, pain, suffering, sorrow. Lord, maybe they've even pled insanity, like David. I have no idea. But Lord, in the midst of that, David says, join with the saints. Exalt the Lord. Glorify Him. Cry out to Him. He delivers. Hear the instruction of the Lord. What a contrast with those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways versus those who are lost and wicked. God, help us to listen to that instruction. Lord, help us to think of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane where He sweat as drops of blood as He poured over the fact that He was going to be the curse bearer to turn away the wrath of God forever for us. Thank you, Lord, for redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for turning the wrath of God away from us, saving our souls, covering us with your sacrifice. Thank you for it, Lord God. Lord, if there's someone under the sound of my voice that's lost, may they take refuge in Jesus. And for the saints today, let us join to exalt our God. Let us think about crying out to you when we're in trouble because... We have total dependence upon you and let us listen to the instruction from your word about fearing you. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely
This is Miss Becky Brown, and this is Peyton. Peyton, all right. And uh, Becky knows Jesus as her Lord. She's following the believer's baptism. Uh, she's met with me. We talked about her salvation and about her love for the Lord and desire to serve the Lord here at FBCO. And uh, she's committed to take our new members class. And so we want to recommend to you uh, or let you know, acknowledge, right, affirm our newest member, Miss Becky Brown of FBCO. Amen. God be the glory. You go back there with Mr. Don. He'll show you where to stand. And we'd like to greet you. One more verse. When you make a commitment, maybe there's others that need to commit. We're going to sing one more verse, all right? names come to my mind for our church family. One is Mike Combs. Mike and Tammy, they used to sit about right there. Uh, Mike uh, has had, I guess you'd say, kidney failure, and he's been on dialysis for like 12 to 14 years. And uh, he is really struggling. He's in ICU. Uh, Mercy? Is that right? I think he's at Mercy. And he's doing better, but his, his, he's got some infection in his body, either spinal column, heart. Uh, Tammy's been telling us back and forth, but pray for Mike that he will mend up. Miss Karen Maury uh, is battling cancer, and she's in the hospital. And I uh, hope you'll pray for her and Levi during, during these days as well, okay? Uh, no service tonight. We will be back in fall mode, okay, next week. So Wednesday night activities ramp back up, and Sunday nights, remember, we do first, second, third Sunday nights. We had not had the Lord's Supper in a while, but soon we're going to have it, okay? So in a normal month, we do first, second, third Sunday nights. And if the fourth Sunday night, we don't meet. And if there's a fifth Sunday night, we might do a singing or something, right? We may have something special. We may not, okay? So we're going to get back into the rhythm of fall moving up. I know our kids moved up in their classes today, right? Praise God for that, that they're getting older. And thank the Lord we have the teachers available. And uh, keep praying for our church. And I hope you have a blessed afternoon. And God bless you. And one quick thing about prayer, uh, Blake uh, just texted me this morning, said, praise the Lord, three out of the, out of the seven houses that they were building in Guatemala are completed. Uh, Thirty-two children have been involved in vacation Bible school thus far. And please pray Tuesday for a special opportunity to minister at a girls' orphanage on Tuesday for the Guatemala uh, mission trip. So please keep that in mind. God bless you.